This is Conversations with Ken. I'm Ken Robinson. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. We're picking up listeners all around the world, not only here in the United States, but also in Australia, Germany, India, Iran, the United Kingdom, Spain, Italy, Canada, Ireland, and many, many others. I really appreciate having all of you along. Well, if you're into online dating, you need to know about catfishing. It's a scam that's spreading around the world. Also, we'll discover the worst relationship mistakes smart people make. And women and sleep. What are the best ways to get a good night's rest? It's all coming up on Conversations with Ken right after this timeout. This message is for all the individuals, businesses, and organizations seeking freedom from costly software licenses. LibreOffice is here to save the day. It's the open source office suite, offering you a powerful and versatile package without the hefty price tag. It's time to break free from the chains of expensive computer programs and embrace a world of possibilities. With LibreOffice, you get everything you need to create stunning documents, spreadsheets, presentations, and more. It's compatible with all major file formats, ensuring seamless collaboration with others. Join millions of satisfied users who have made the switch to LibreOffice. Visit LibreOffice.org today and download this incredible suite free of charge with no obligation and no ads. Updates are also free, so you'll always stay ahead of the game. LibreOffice, from the Document Foundation. According to FBI data compiled by HighSpeedInternet.com, Americans were cheated out of $324 million in 2018 through an online dating scam called catfishing. Victoria Marinda is a staff researcher for HighSpeedInternet.com, and she joins us online. Victoria, define catfishing for us. Yeah, so catfishing kind of, it kind of has two definitions. So By the FBI or I guess the police standard, catfishing is when you pretend to be somebody else to kind of build trust with a victim and then eventually ask them for money and get them to send you money. I would also say that in pop culture, people kind of use, or I guess in everyday terms, people will use the word catfishing to kind of mean any time that you kind of misrepresent who you are to get something. So Kind of all in all, it just means pretending to be someone you're not online so that you can get someone to send you money. And usually through uh, dating apps, I guess it's become very popular. Uh, you have these, uh, well, I guess a lot of people use dating apps these days because they've been uh, kind of successful. Yeah, I think, you know, dating apps are growing in popularity. I think there used to be a lot of stigma around meeting people online, but in the last like five years, maybe not so much. It's kind of normal to meet people online now. So I think a lot of catfish use dating apps because when you have a a Facebook or a Twitter or an Instagram, it takes years and years and years of posting to make it look real because people will use their social media for many years on end. Whereas if you're in a dating app trying to meet people, it's pretty quick and easy to set up a profile and really easily kind of start talking to someone when they can't tell if it's fake or not. 
So I guess it was inevitable that uh, crooks would uh, catch on to that and try to bilk men and women out of money and uh, their possessions by pretending to be somebody that they're not, somebody that uh, that they think is interested in romance, but they're not. Right. So sometimes these catfish will put months or even years into building trust or relationship with somebody so that they can say they'll usually use some kind of really dramatic emergency situation like, oh, I was in a car accident. I need money for the emergency room or they'll kind of use something like that to try and put pressure on you to send the money in the moment. So it's really good to remember that even if you've been talking to someone for a year, six months, nine months, just if you've never met them in person, it's the best just not to send them money. Well, that's the scary thing when you when you have so much invested in a person over a period of uh, months or or years, you you feel like you know them, you feel like you can trust them, but but you really can't. Yeah, so it's important, you know, there's a few things you can do to kind of look and see if their profile maybe does look kind of fake. I would also say one of the things you can do to kind of um to kind of protect yourself is to look for things like, are they using model or stock photos? Do they have social media posts that go back years or months? You know, are they, are they willing to get on FaceTime or video chat? Like with you, I can easily just get on video chat and talk to you, but a catfish might find excuses of a reason not to do that because they don't want you to know who they really are. What about friends? Are are they reluctant to like reveal who their friends are or maybe who they're connected with online or where they work or who they associate with? So I think uh, I think a lot of catfish will kind of add a lot of people on Facebook um, or Instagram. I'm not sure about you, but I know for me, I get a lot of kind of accounts that don't really look real trying to add me or trying to follow me. And so just being, you know, keeping your privacy settings really tight is really important. Making sure you're actually only adding people you know and vetting heavily because these catfish will go on Facebook and just add any person they can. It'll make it look like you have mutual friends if they add all your friends and then add you. So they'll kind of try some sneaky tactics like that to make you think that they're a real person. So you you really have to be on guard. I mean, it's uh, it's not an easy thing to do because these guys try to cover all the bases and make make it look like they're really just normal people yeah i think that catfish are getting much smarter i think as technology evolves and these companies like facebook and twitter are trying really hard to filter out fake accounts uh that i think criminals are getting smarter as well so they'll try and think of new ways like some like using tinder or okcupid i'm not sure if those dating apps actually have any kind of process where they vet or check for fake profiles but i know facebook is kind of actively doing that so it's always a good idea to keep all of your communication with the catfish within an app any information they can see on facebook or instagram anything about your life they can use that information against you or to ask you for money so Really just being careful of how you're talking to people, where you're talking to them, what they can see, uh, what your privacy settings are. Those are kind of the best ways to to protect yourself against a catfish. Sure. Now, one of the I guess one of the fastest growing dating apps is Tinder. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we've also we've heard of Match.com, those kinds of sites. But there's Mm -hmm. also sites that well, those are free sites, but there Mm -hmm. are sites that where you have to pay like uh, eHarmony.com. Is it better to go to a dating app or a dating site where you have to pay rather than a free site? 
So, you know, um, the FBI don't really give out information on how catfish meet or kind of seek out their victims. I would be inclined to say personally that they probably aren't willing to pay for a site because that's kind of an upfront investment. Mm -hmm. So I think you would be safer. I I also wonder if um, apps that you have to pay for, like OkCupid, eHarmony, they have a really lengthy sign-up process. You have to give a lot of information. You have to give a credit card. You have to answer like 50 questions about yourself and what you're looking for. So I think a catfish would definitely be reluctant to go that route when they can just easily sign up on Tinder. Mm. So you have to be extra careful on a, on a free site. Now, yeah, I think so. <laughs> sure. Uh, so your company, HighSpeedInternet.com, has a, a list of what states uh, <laughs> people are the most prone to be catfished. Mm-hmm. And uh, first of all, is, how prone are, are are people in the United States? Is this a growing crime that you know that's growing exponentially, or is or is it just something that's a casual crime right now? So we've been we did this report last year, and definitely this year there was an increase in how much money was lost to catfish. I mean, it is really crazy to look at how much money the FBI has documented has has been lost to romance uh, scams. It is in the billions every year, which is just absolutely crazy. Uh, and then if you think about it, that's really just what people report to the FBI. I'm sure there's a lot of catfishing that kind of goes unreported. I don't know if people actually realize that it's a crime that they can report to the FBI, but definitely the losses every year are in the billions. So this is a huge, huge scam that's you know costing Americans a lot of money. Wow. I, I guess a lot of people are probably kind of embarrassed to report it. To the police. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think people don't really realize that it's a crime because they kind of fell for it, for a lack of a better way of explaining that. Like, they might think, like, it's their fault because they didn't maybe uh, verify who the person was. But it absolutely is a crime. And if you're a victim, you should definitely report it to the FBI. I think it's, yeah, it's just um, really shocking to see how many millions and even billions of dollars are lost to this. Absolutely. Yeah, if you don't report it, these guys can't be tracked down. So, And it could happen to anybody. I mean, you know, a lot of people who are Internet savvy and on their guard all the time fall fall victim to all kinds of scams. So uh, it's nothing to to really be embarrassed about. And by explaining it, you can help others. Well, (laughs) what state is the state where people are most likely to be catfished? So the state that's most likely to be catfish is Alaska. So the way that we kind of came up with this ranking was we looked at how many victims were in every state last year, and then we kind of compared that with the census to kind of come up with a likelihood or kind of, um, you know, to kind of measure per capita how many people were being catfished in every state. So Alaska had the biggest ratio of uh, how many people were catfished to their population. Um, Where you are in Ohio was ranked the five safest. So you're kind of on the other end of the scale, which is really great to hear. You are definitely ranking uh, toward the top of kind of the least amount of your population falling victim to a catfish. So the safest state was Illinois, which is not too far away. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. I I can guess why Alaska would be the the, the most catfished state, because it's kind of cold. People are kind of isolated. They can't see each other face to face a lot it's not very highly populated is that mm-hmm. is that a correct a correct assumption <laughs> why <laughs> yeah i mean we can't you know we can't say for sure why but i think that would be a great guess and 
it's kind of funny when you look at the map we've made, all of the states with the most catfishes are all in the west, pretty much. And then all of the ones with the least are in the east and kind of around Ohio, Illinois, Mississippi, Georgia, South Carolina. So it's definitely interesting to see how that how that differs so clearly across the country. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm noticing that, you know, Oregon and uh, uh, Nevada, Utah, California, th- th- those those are states where we assume people are more free and easy and, you know, open to new ideas and trying new things. And maybe that's how they get caught up into this. But that may not be a correct assumption because I see Montana is a state where you're least likely to be catfished and it's very sparsely populated. It's probably just as cold as uh, Alaska. (laughs) Right. So it's it's hard to say why this differs uh, so much across the country. I guess my best guess would be that, you know, the West is less populated than the East and maybe people do use apps and social media to try and meet people because it's a bit harder to meet people when there's not as many around. So that's kind of my best guess. I know California would be an outlier there. I just wonder if it's something to do kind of with being in the West and there just being less people around. Now, any idea how many people, how many catfishing reports the FBI has received from from Ohio, let's say? Yeah, so in 2018, which is the newest data we have, there were 400, about 400 people who reported being catfished. So, and they they had a combined loss of $9 million. So the FBI doesn't uh, release individual case numbers, but when we average it out, it's about per victim that was lost, which is just really crazy if you think about it. Uh, 400 people losing $9 million is a lot. That is a lot. That's a a lot to to lose. And and I can see why it would be a lucrative scam. You know, but I'm looking at like uh, New Jersey and New York where the catfishing rate is kind of low. And I would think that because those states are so highly populated that it would be easy to meet other people without using a dating app, but that may not necessarily be uh, true because, you know, you can be alone in a crowd, let's say. <laughs> yeah, I I really hope that the FBI uh, starts to release maybe a bit more details on why they think they see certain trends or, you know, is it like one person lost $8 million and the other 400 only lost a 1000 each or something? You know, I would love to see kind of a breakdown like that or to kind of ask them why they think there's trends like this across the country. Um, it's really hard to say, but we kind of tried to do the best we could with what we had. Absolutely. Well, also, you have in some information here about, uh, and we just received it, it's about what dating apps are growing in popularity. A, n- a new data from you. Yeah, so we just did this new survey. We kind of wanted to find out, you know, what, what is the sentiment around dating apps in 2019? Are people having good experiences? Are they not liking it? Uh, it was kind of really interesting. I think the most interesting kind of point was that three out of four people said that they'd had a bad experience with someone they met on a dating app. We didn't ask people specifically to tell us what that was, but that, you know, connecting back to what we were talking about, that could have been a catfish. Uh, it could have been they were talking to someone for months and then found out it was a fake profile. We, we don't know, but that would definitely be interesting to go back and kind of look into what bad experiences people have had. Holy cow. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> Three out yeah, of four. So I think, um, I think 
you know, if we were to repeat the survey, we would definitely ask people kind of what bad experiences they had. I think three and four, you know, we only surveyed people who use dating apps. I think that that's, um, it was a little higher than what I expected, but I definitely think people have a lot of bad experiences on dating apps. <laughs> that would be a lot of bad at 75%. That's, that's pretty high. So right. <laughs> I'm surprised dating apps are still around with that, with that rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Tinder was number one and they've kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, before you used to, you know, mostly hear about, you know, match.com, but Tinder has really, po what, what's made Tinder so popular? Any idea? You know, I think, um, I think Tinder is kind of like the Uber of dating apps. I think it, it came on the scene. Young people really liked it. Everybody signed up for it. I think they make it really easy to use. It kind of feels like a game. Uh, I think that, you know, I personally think a lot more people I know use maybe Bumble or OkCupid. I don't really know many people who use Tinder, but it was kind of interesting to see. I think a lot of people, a lot of people are using that. Another one I haven't heard of, Plenty of Fish. That's a new one on me. Uh, <laughs> I've heard of... Uh you know, Christian Mingle, I think Zeusk. I've heard a little bit about them. And then there's another one called, uh, gee, uh, Grind? Grinder, yeah. Grinder. So Grinder is predominantly used by the LGBTQ community. Okay. Um, okay. It's kind of one of the only apps that is specifically made for that demographic. Do some apps receive more complaints or have a higher dissatisfaction ratio than others? So that wasn't uh, a question in our survey, but that's great to kind of look into that if we do do that again. I think um, I think Tinder being the most popular would just by, just by kind of um, statistics would maybe have the highest amount of negative experiences just because the most people are using it. But uh, we can't really say if that's true or not. So it's, it's kind of hard to know. Uh, I wish there was a way we could maybe look at police records or something and see how many of each dating app is referenced in them. Okay. Well, uh, your research shows that 55% uh, of people, I guess, using a dating app have had a serious relationship. So more than half. Yeah, that was really nice to kind of hear and kind of see that uh, people, at least half of people who are using dating apps have had a serious and a good relationship come out of it. That was really fun to see. I, I guess a lot of mixed a mix, a mixed feelings about it, you know, uh, uh, 70, yeah. 75% having a bad experience, but I guess 55% in a serious relationship. All the more reason for caution, I suppose. Yeah, and I think it's, I think a lot of people would probably say the same about uh, real life dating, right? I think, you know, if you meet someone through friends or at work or something like that, I think people would probably have equal sentiment around there's some good and there's always some bad, right? Uh, so, I think it's kind of interesting to see kind of just how many people have had a good experience and also just to always remember that, you know, dating apps, safety is important. You can protect yourself, keep an eye out for catfish. It's kind of, it's good to see that uh, people are kind of maybe starting to remember that when they use dating apps. Mm, absolutely. And uh, we all know dating in real life can be uh, hazardous too. And we often see those stories in the news. So <laughs> Yeah. So I guess it, it goes both ways. But I would imagine that, that dating uh, using an app does give you a little more control over the situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that you kind of are given an opportunity to vet or figure out who someone is before you actually meet them face to face, which is kind of the added bonus of a dating app. Um, I would just say, you know, if 
someone listening does happen to be a victim of a catfish or maybe suspect that, that they are being catfished, you can go to our report online and we have a list of kind of tips and things to look out for so that you can kind of prevent being a victim and figure out who you're really talking to. Okay, and that's uh, highspeedinternet.com. Yep. Well, very good. All right, Victoria Morinda of highspeedinternet.com informing us about an online dating scam called catfishing that's bilking victims out of millions of dollars. Next on Conversations with Ken, the dumbest relationship mistakes smart people make right after this break. People often ask me, what audio editing software do I use to produce my podcasts? Well, the answer is easy. Audacity, the free and user-friendly audio editing software that puts professional quality tools at your fingertips. With Audacity, you can easily cut, copy, and paste audio clips, making editing a breeze. Need to remove background noise or enhance the clarity of your recordings? Audacity has you covered with its powerful noise reduction and equalization features. From reverb and echo to pitch correction and beyond, Audacity empowers you to unleash your creativity. Audacity is available for download at no cost, making it accessible to everyone, from podcasters and musicians to students and hobbyists. So why wait? Take control of your audio editing needs with Audacity today. Visit audacityteam.org to download your free copy and join the millions of satisfied users like me who trust Audacity for their audio editing needs. Our transition music is by H-Beats, who can improve the quality of any presentation. That's H-Beats with a Z at the end. See how H-Beats can improve your presentation with a quality musical soundtrack. Contact hbeats330 at gmail.com. Welcome back to Conversations with Ken. I'm Ken Robinson. Just like online dating, relationships themselves can be very tricky propositions, Couples counselor Carolyn Bouchon is author of the book, The Seven Dumbest Relationship Mistakes Smart People Make. Carolyn has decades of experience as a psychotherapist. First of all, Carolyn, isn't it hard not to make mistakes and have misunderstandings when human beings are dealing with each other? Yes, but but the thing is, is that it's it's hard not to, but if we can see what these mistakes are, we're more likely not to make them. Instead, people, what they do is they get into a relationship and they make the mistakes and they either think that they're just bad at relationships or they've just chosen a bad person. Mm -hmm. And it's not that at all. We usually think that, you know, if we, okay, if I'm in a relationship with you and I think you're just a jerk and so Mm -hmm. I'll move on and choose Joe Smith over here and uh, then I make the same mistakes with him. Mm. And so if you know what the mistakes are, you can stop repeating your patterns in relationships. Uh-huh. Well, isn't the number one mistake picking the wrong person? Isn't that the hardest thing to do, picking the right person? 
we pick the wrong person because we make mistake number one, which is forcing intimacy. Hmm. Single people out there, and I will say particularly women, often will choose someone that they admire or they put on a pedestal or they're attracted to, but not someone they ought to be having a relationship with. Maybe even someone treating who treats them coldly or rejecting. And sometimes what we do is the more someone rejects us, the more we want them, the more they're a challenge. Now, that is the wrong person for us to be with. Mm -hmm. But the reason it is is because we're forcing intimacy. If we were behaving in a more healthy manner and we were letting the relationship evolve and taking our time with this relationship, this relationship would just fall out. So we wouldn't end up in this relationship. So you're saying women are more likely to... Force get, intimacy. Force intimacy, now, get involved. Now, not sexual intimacy. Uh -huh. I mean emotional intimacy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Men are more likely to force sexual <laughs> intimacy. That's a whole different topic. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> so going after someone who's really not interested in you. Yeah, that, or that's... even just not available. You mm -hmm. know, someone that's married, someone that's busy, someone that just really doesn't have the time for you in their life. I mean, I had one client who really, I mean, she just kept chasing this guy and said, but you ought to be spending more time on relationships. You should try to make, figure out how to make a commitment. And I want you to make it with me. I'm like, <laughs> let him go. Leave him alone. But aren't we taught that's what love is all about? You have these feelings, these strong, mm -hmm. strong feelings for a certain person, and you're destined to be together. It's in true. the stars. I know, but that's not, it's not <laughs> true. We feel that way. That part is true. But usually when you have that strong compulsion to go after someone, mm -hmm. we think it's love. And usually it's more of an addiction to being rejected by that person. And that's what causes us to make mistake number one, mm -hmm. the forcing of intimacy. Okay. Well, well once you find someone mm -hmm. who's, you're interested in them, and they're interested in you, right. and you're you know, thinking, well, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. What's the next roadblock? Well, what's the next mistake people well, come to and, make? And they are kind of in order like that. Mistake number two is expecting your mate to read your mind. Mm -hmm. we, want, we think, well, if he really cared, he would have known that I wanted flowers on my birthday. He would have known. She would have known. You know, he, he would know how I feel. Well, a couple of things are a problem there. Men and women don't think the same way, for one thing. Mm -hmm. And so if I want lavender roses on my birthday, how are you going to know that? <laughs> You've never even heard of lavender roses. You didn't even know they made them, right? <laughs> so, true. But I think you should read my mind because lavender is my favorite color, <laughs> and I want roses. Well, why do we do that? Why, why do we always expect people to... Be to able read to our read, read our minds like that. Well, we're afraid to take the risk to tell them. And we're taught that we're being selfish. If, Like, let's say that you are my mate, and I tell you, um, you know, honey, I, I, I love lavender roses. Do you think you could get me some of those for my birthday? Mm -hmm. We were taught by our parents that asking that directly for something is so selfish. Hmm. I mean, like, let's say that lavender roses cost more than all the rest or something. Uh -huh. And then it's like... Uh, well, why should, you know, how dare you ask for something so expensive? We've been taught not, <laughs> see, not to ask for what we really want. But if we don't, we usually don't get it. And the truth is, is if we ask for what we want from our mate, then, then it gives him a clue or her a clue about what to give us, and everybody gets to win. And if you ask for what you want and you don't get it, then you know there's a problem. Well, see, and that's why people don't do it, though. Uh -huh. That's exactly why they're afraid to. Oh. They're afraid they'll be rejected. They're afraid the person will say, I don't care what you want. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of times when we expect people to read our minds and we don't get what we want, mm -hmm. we start 
acting like a martyr. That's we say, right. oh boy, you know, I'm suffering here. I've sacrificed <laughs> for you. I have cleaned the house. I've cooked for you. And you don't even care. And you're treating me like this. And you didn't even get me something for my birthday. Boy, exactly. this sounds like a marriage here. <laughs> I know. We just got married. You didn't know that, did you? <laughs> that is what happens is that then um, uh, that's the mistake. Usually, uh, often women make it. Not that men don't make it either, but it's, mm-hmm. it's acting like a victim, playing the martyr role. And w- what happens is we do sacrifice too much. And when we sacrifice too much, we give too much, we have expectations back. The biggest problem in the martyr role is often if you don't get something back from your mate, you think that you will if you keep giving. Oh, uh, yeah. It's not true. Usually it just tends to be a downward spiral Ex- from there. Exactly. You sacrifice more, you get less and you less. You get less and less <laughs> and less. You get more upset and more upset. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's just a spiral. And, and you get become very, very resentful. And martyrs are very passive-aggressive. They're like, and no, that's okay. You know, if you don't want to do that for me, it's fine. But down deep inside, there's a part that says, "I'll get you later. <laughs> <laughs> you will pay." <laughs> How true! How true! <laughs> for not being there for me. <laughs> my, my, my! We're talking to Carolyn Bashong, who's author of the book "The Seven Dumbest Relationship Mistakes Smart People Make." How did you come up with such a complete listing? I mean, it's like. This is a roadmap, and I, exactly. and I bet a lot of couples are hearing this, and they're saying, wow, oh, I've done that. geez, I've been there. Yes. Well, first of all, everybody, one of the questions people ask me is, only seven, and the truth is, is I came up with about 20 <laughs> major mistakes. Wow. And then it was a matter of trying to categorize them into the major things, because so many of them over, overlapped and could be categorized underneath the other. So, mm-hmm. you know, for instance... Um, uh, then the next one, thinking that you're always right, it has to do with con- being controlling, being abusive, uh, being having an attitude problem, um, you know, uh, being being one of those people who thinks that you're above everybody else, mm-hmm. um, whatever. All of those kind of mistakes go under thinking that you're always right because a person who does those things thinks they're always right. Mm-hmm. And uh, more often than not, men make this one. Although women do it, too, in a different style. But this is that, and a lot of times, the martyr and the person who thinks they're always right are married to each other. (laughs) Very often, in fact. Oh, boy. Now, there's one thing, and I'm guessing here, that men probably do more than women, and that's uh, taking their spouse or or mate for granted. Uh, Probably, but, you know, I think that men and women both do that about equally. I think that women think men do it. And we tell you guys you do it. Uh-huh. Okay. We tell you that you do that because we're often more romantically oriented. But I find that, that the couples who come into my office take each other, the women take the men for granted too. In other ways, they're like, they take it for granted that he's going to pay for things, that he's going to be the major breadwinner, if not the sole breadwinner, and that all of that should be his responsibility without it ever even being discussed. Hmm. Do you think that's a way of taking I, men for granted? I think so, true. And yes. In fact, uh, probably a lot of things aren't discussed. Uh, right. Like early on in the relationship yes. process, there's so much Assumed. optimism and fear of rejection that uh, a lot of issues are, are just kind of swept under the table. And exactly. then, of course, they all come out they when it's too late. They all come out later, and that's where everybody is upset about their expectations. Well, on that note, we want to thank you for taking time to talk to us today. Couples counselor Carolyn Bouchon author of The Seven Dumbest Mistakes Smart People Make. 
And there are a lot of songs about relationships that keep people up at night, women in sleep. That's our next topic after this. For decades, Wikipedia has been a beacon of unbiased, free knowledge for everyone. It's a place where facts triumph over fiction, and information is shared without any hidden agenda. But maintaining this incredible resource requires your help. Wikipedia is run entirely on donations from people like you. Your contribution, no matter how big or small, can make a world of difference. By donating to Wikipedia, you empower millions of individuals to access reliable information, learn about diverse cultures, and expand their horizons. You can help ensure that knowledge remains free and accessible to everyone, regardless of their background or location. So, as a former Wikipedia editor, I ask you to join us in supporting this invaluable platform. Visit donate.wikipedia.org today. There's a book on the market called The Woman's Guide to Sleep, Guaranteed Solutions for a Good Night's Rest. Its co-author is Dr. Joyce Walschleben, an internationally recognized authority in the field of sleep disorders. She's director of the New York University Sleep Disorder Center and oversees patient care and training of staff. Well, doctor, there's nothing like a good night's sleep, but a lot of women find restful nights elusive, right? That's correct, or they don't even get into bed, which is even worse. Wow. How did you happen to come to write, write, the book, uh, write a book about the women sleeping? Do women sleep differently than men? Well, they have different issues, so that impacts their sleep in different ways. What are the major differences between the way women and men sleep, uh, clinically speaking, I suppose? Well, the major impact differences are, of course, women's hormones. Women's biology and psychology is different from a man, so they bring perhaps more problems or different ways of handling their problems to sleep or to, to the bedroom, so they're impacted by their stress. Women tend to have more depression, which impact sleep, mood and sleep track together because they use the same chemicals in the brain. Um, Women also suffer from more um, pain syndrome disorders, which will disrupt sleep. And of course, from teenage years until well beyond uh, menopause, we have bubbling hormones. And those hormones can vary across the day as well as across months and, and years. And just keep folks out of balance. And, and balance is the key word for sleep. If you can keep your sleep and wake times and effort balanced, you're happy. Mm-hmm. But those hormones kind of get in the way sometimes. And for some women, they're very, very sensitive to those changes and they become symptomatic. Do women have different sleep requirements than men? Probably not. Um, I think in the long run, women have the potential to have even better sleep than men because we tend to hold on to our ability to have deep sleep longer than a man might. Um, And we tend to hold on to the rhythmicity of our sleep longer than a man might. Do women and men have different sleep routines? A lot of us have routines where we do certain things or prepare to go to bed a certain way at a certain time. Do they vary from men to women? I think so. And of course, that's going to be individual. But for a woman, particularly if she happens to be a single mom even, um, 
or works as well, they may do their day activity, be it work or whatever. And nighttime is sort of a cleanup time in, in one way or another. They help the children with the homework. They come home. They do the household chores. Um, they might have a chance to visit with their husband or if he's if he's in the picture, or or he may be working late also. So there's little downtime for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and many women, I find, are trying to wait up for the husbands who are working second shifts just so they can have some sort of time together. And that will, will be an impact. So that night time and sleep time is short, and it, it comes with the expectation that you can turn the key and it happens and that's not the case you really have to let go of the daytime stress and activity for a while space it apart from where you are sleeping and when you are sleeping so that you allow the sleep system a little bit of a chance to get going so a lot of times uh the big issue is just getting enough sleep being able to get uh, enough tasks done during the day to to sit back and relax and enjoy a good night's rest. That's right. Or prioritize the tasks. And what I'm trying to convince people, and, and women particularly, is to prioritize their sleep like they do so many other things in their life. Because I think if we can convince people to sleep well, the day becomes so much easier and so much more productive that you don't have to get in that cycle of dragging things home with you. You become a better worker, better person, a companion, mother, all of the above, if you can sleep well. But that seems to be the part of the day, the 24-hour day, that folks think they can do without. So I'm hopeful that I can you know, do a little bit to convince people to prioritize differently. Mm-hmm. Now, when a woman doesn't get enough sleep or the proper sleep, what consequences does she face during daytime activities? Well, the short consequence of less sleep is poor f- performance. And uh, we don't perform as effectively. We don't think as well. And we don't, for instance, for a mom who's carpooling, she's not going to be driving as well. And I worry about that. If, if people are shortcutting their sleep, that accumulates over time. And that afternoon hour where uh, moms may be carpooling in, home from the, the children's school is a time when their bodies want to try and sleep. It's a downtime for all of us. And if you impact that with sleep deprivation, they will have trouble with at that point. So safety is a consequence. Mm -hmm. Poor health in general. There's data that shows that our immune systems don't function as well as we're sleep deprived. So it really tracks across the board. We're talking to Dr. Joyce Walsleben, who's author of the book, A Woman's Guide to Sleep. She's also director of the New York University School of Medicine Sleep Disorder Center and research associate in the School of Medicine. Women for, for many years have complained about men breaking their sleep by snoring. Uh, Is that a major problem among women? And do women snore as much as men? Well, actually, we we do snore as much as men probably, but few of us know it. And I'm not sure why that is. Um, If you ask women, they will typically say, I don't know. And it may be because they don't have a bed partner. Or it may be that their bed partner is busy doing their own snoring. So, um, (laughs) But the, the issue of bed partners in general is is covered because you can have a partner with insomnia and you will suffer too. Mm-hmm. You certainly have hit the nail on the head with the partner snoring and, and I, if all else fails, I'm a proponent of separate beds and separate rooms if it's necessary to keep a relationship happy. Mm-hmm. But snoring for everyone is a symptom that something's going on in the airway and it may well be smart to get that snorer checked out. Now how can women stop snoring? I mean, you see all those... Uh 
drugstore remedies and mm-hmm. l- remedies on late night TV, and I guess for a while that that clothespin or whatever it was <laughs> you could you could put on your nose was supposed to work, and they have these herbal remedies. Do any of these uh, anti snoring remedies really work? Probably not the ones that you can find over the counter. The breathe strip, for instance, is very good for young children when they have a cold because it does provide enough room to pull back their their nostrils, but it doesn't do a whole lot for an adult. There are several um, good treatments now running from a little pump that pumps up air pressure and holds the airway open just with a pneumatic splint to surgery. The uh, There is a spray I know out, and I worry about that because it's a lubricant, and it does lubricate so the tissues in the throat don't stick together, and it stops that vibration. But I worry about inhaling things uh, like a lubricant or you know, whether or not that would create a problem. So I, I don't know, and unfortunately, there's been little research on things like that. Now, there are things you can do uh, regarding self-care when it comes to areas such as uh, uh, dealing with mild bouts of insomnia. Are there uh, things uh, women can do, or, or men as well, to kind of make themselves feel sleepy uh, and, and ready for bedtime? Well, believe it or not, the best thing we can do for everybody is to create the same wake-up time seven days a week because you can make yourself wake up, and that becomes a real force for your biological clock. So you wake up at the same time, get into some daylight, that's what our body is expecting, and that's what reinforces day. And once you've done that and keep a regular schedule, then you have to start allowing your, yourself to feel the sleepiness that will come in the evening. Mm-hmm. At that point is when we want to think in terms of, gee, I, we could be taking foods that contain tryptophan, milk products, things with uh, turkey or fish. All will have building blocks that can regulate sleep. Mm. So I use those as a little nighttime snack an hour or two before your targeted bedtime. There are lots of stress busters women particularly have to think about and can do very well with in the daytime so that those stress issues don't clobber you in the nighttime. Dark rooms, quiet rooms, safe rooms are very important for women. Many times in a city environment, they don't feel secure enough to even relax to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Simple, sensible sleep hygiene rules are really excellent. What about women who have to work unusual hours? Yes, women particularly are shift workers, be it in, in service operations, which they tend to be, nurses, doctors, um, part-time workers who may work when their husbands are home watching children. And um, that is a huge problem for them. And for many people, uh, such as perhaps yourself who may get up early, you may find you need to, to sleep in two shifts. So you could have a four-hour block and a three-hour block. Well, Sleeping if, in shifts, is that good for you? Well, it's better than nothing. And if that's the case, that really gives you the block of sleep in 24 hours that you require. So it's not a bad way to go, but you have to really do it on a regular basis so it doesn't intrude on your night's sleep. That's quite correct. And short naps are great for quick revivals. You can take a 20-minute nap and feel good for a few hours afterward. Mm. Uh, Now, what about uh, the effects on health? Uh, A lot of times folks push themselves, uh, try to get a lot done. Uh, For whatever reason, they're not able to get a good night's sleep or as as much sleep as they they require. Can that have a devastating effect on on one's physical well-being? It does. We've always believed that, but now we have the data to prove it. In fact, there was a study recently in the University of Chicago sleep-depriving young, healthy men. 
and they found after very short amounts of sleep deprivation that these men in terms of their insulin production and release and other body hormones were appearing as though they were very much older so in fact sleep deprivation may hasten aging we may tend to see things like obesity and uh, late life diabetes appearing earlier that's a scary thought it is particularly <laughs> for women we typically don't want to get old too fast yeah i tell you so uh, basically, w how much sleep should a woman get at night? Uh, we hear about the eight hours of sleep a night. Is that the benchmark? It is a really good benchmark that few of us reach. But the sleep for you is the amount of sleep that allows you to be al awake and alert in the afternoon hours when you're doing something boring. <laughs> if you're nodding off at work or having trouble staying awake in front of the television at night, you either haven't had enough sleep or the sleep that you've had has not been good quality. Mm. Now, can you, uh, is sleep like a bank where if uh, you get like maybe six hours of sleep during the week and then you try to make it up by sleeping 10 hours on the weekend, <laughs> does it work? <laughs> not exactly, but you can kind of preempt it. And one of the ways that I tell people to do that, if they're planning a, a long road trip, for instance, mm -hmm. take that nap beforehand so they start refreshed. And we try and, and urge people, particularly with young families, don't make the trip at night. Because everybody tries that because the kids will be good and asleep, but it, it really literally becomes deadly when someone falls asleep behind the wheel of the car. Mm. Sleep loss accumulates. And by Friday night, you probably have a healthy sleep debt if you're a 9 to 5 worker and you shortcut your sleep. You can sleep in an hour or two in the mornings over the weekend. But if you do much more of that, the likelihood is you may have trouble going to sleep when you want to Sunday night. Mm. And you have a Sunday night insomnia that sets you up in the hole for the week ahead. So the most sensible thing is same wake-up time, seven days a week, and allow yourself an eight-hour period in bed to get to sleep. Well, we certainly want to thank you for uh, dropping by our studios to share this information. Absolutely fascinating topic. Well, I want to thank you for your interest. I think you're doing a great job of educating everyone. And our in-studio guest has been Dr. Joyce Walslaben. She's a psychologist and co-author of The Woman's Guide to Sleep, Guaranteed Solutions for a Good Night's Rest. She's director of the NYU Sleep Disorders Center. And that's Conversations with Ken. Thanks so much for listening, and feel free to subscribe to my podcast channel, The Ken Robinson Shows.